Today on Podcast by the Bay, San Mateo County Supervisor for District 1, Dave Pine. The County of Gar- San Mateo is a, is a great beneficiary of the booming economy. And uh, with property taxes climbing uh, and the state in, in the solid position, you know, our financial picture has never been stronger. So uh, it allows us to do a lot of innovative things and, and try to tackle some issues that most county governments can't do. Discussing some of the clean energy initiatives. Well, I've worked hard in the uh, area of uh, sustainability and environmental issues, so I am uh, proud of the creation of Peninsula Clean Energy and our ability now to have much cleaner electricity provided throughout San Mateo County. Also, some of the county updates, like the all-mail-in ballot, starting on June 5th. Well, San Mateo County is one of five counties that will pioneer the new all, essentially all-mail ballot system starting with this June election. And I think it was a, it's a good way to go. It takes, will take some getting used to for those of us who like going to the precinct polling place. All on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We are excited to have you here. We're excited to, that you downloaded our show, and we're excited to actually have you listening and giving us some of your feedback. And uh, today, we actually have an exclusive interview with San Mateo County Supervisor Dave Pine. And so, Patrick, maybe you can kind of enlighten some of the uh, audience who Dave Pine is and what really what he represents for San Mateo County. Yeah, Dave Pine, I met Dave Pine about uh, probably about 20 years ago, and I was chairing the uh, Democratic Party in San Mateo Foster City, and he was an attorney at one time for Handspring. Um, And I I guess we remember the Handspring or Handspring or Palm or whatever it was. And uh, he was lead counsel, and, and he eventually retired from that position, and he was thinking about running for, at that time, state assembly. So I had the opportunity to interview him. He's, he's very well educated. He's educated on the East Coast. Uh, he's, he, to my knowledge, he has a law degree, um, and he's very patriotic towards uh, public service. And he's been dedicated to always wanting to make a difference uh, in his community. Um, Dave Pine uh, uh, did run for um, uh, the assembly and was not successful. Uh, he eventually got, he lives in Burlingame. He eventually got on the uh, 
library board, worked his way up, uh, paid his dues, so to speak. Um, he's much a conservationist. Um, he's really concerned about the environment. He's, uh, serves um, on very many commissions. He's interested in the Restoration Authority and for the uh, Joint Powers Authority. He has worked exclusively in the issues of flood control, sea level rise, tidal land restoration. He also serves on the governing boards of the Clean Energy. Uh, and that's what, what he's going to talk about uh, today is the clean energy. A lot of people aren't aware of it, but if they take a look at their PG&E bill currently, you're kind of billed for clean energy. It's uh, you're, The money's still going to the PG&E, but the money is supposed to be used for clean energy. And the goal is to buy clean energy for San Mateo County uh, to make sure that all of the surrounding cities in San Mateo County get, get that clean energy. Um, it's not completely clear to most people. I think it's important to listen closely to Dave Pine. We also had an opportunity to talk about Sam Tramps, the Peninsula Corridor, uh, the Bay Area Governments, uh, Bay Conservation and the Development Commission. Uh, so he's a, he, um, to a lot of degrees, is um, concerned about the issues of the global warming. Um, as Andre and I have pointed out, there was a recent study showing uh, that in probably the next 40 or 50 years that we could have a major flood. Uh, we're fortunate in the city of Foster City, we're pushing in that direction to build that levee higher. Uh, Dave Pine was a school board member in Burlingame School District, 2003 to 2007. He also served on the San Mateo Unified High School District from 2007 to 2011. Um, and he's uh, definitely a focused person. He's originally from New Hampshire, graduated from Dartmouth College, where he was awarded the Harry S. Truman Scholarship and the University of uh, Michigan Law School. So uh, his term as a supervisor expires in the year 2021. So he's going into his final four-year term. And uh, it was an honor to interview him. It's an honor to be a friend with him. We also discussed a few other issues, which were not about clean energy, but I think the listeners are going to be engaged and are going to enjoy that opportunity to, uh, to listen to Dave Pine, our board of supervisors. Wow. Well, that's really, you know, it sounds like he really touches a lot of the different entities here in the San Mateo County. And I think clean energy, I mean, that is something that is our future. I mean, really, when you talk about where the future is going and really where the opportunity is, I mean, there is a lot of opportunity for clean energy. And, you know, as somebody who has solar panels, someone who has an electric car myself, I, I'm very, you know, you know, enthusiastic to kind of hear about what Dave Pine's talking about and really how it affects us, um, you know, as, as a resident. And so one of the things I do have a question about, and he's a San Mateo County supervisor, and that's different than San Mateo City supervisor or like Burlingame supervisor. So how does that really fit into the overall picture? And where does, where does their jurisdiction you know, where, where does their jurisdiction um, really fall into as far as, uh, you know, who does he represent? Yeah. Okay, so I think, yeah, Andre, you brought a good point up. Um, Dave Pine, or supervisor, represents District 1, which includes Burlingame, Hillsborough, Millbrae, San Bruno, South San Francisco. Okay, so we, will, we, we have more than one supervisory district. Um, you will have a, a district that will represent the, the uh, San Mateo, uh, 
San Mateo, San Carlos, Redwood City, and Belmont. So he's representing a district. Um, one of the big arguments and is and it's even happening currently in the situation uh, on other school boards. There's a law out there that that says there's an inequity. If when you're running for the board of supervisors, even though you're representing that district of those cities, you have to run all over in the San Mateo County. So that's a strong disadvantage for some people that aren't as fortunate financially to be able to run for the board of supervisors. Running for the board of supervisors approximately is going to cost somebody 250 to a half a million dollars. But if we had it by district, um, and there's laws coming, laws challenging this right now. Um, you're going to see the school boards, um, especially um, on the peninsula, they're probably going to all go by district, even though they are district, which basically means is that you would vote for your district. If you lived in Burlingame, Hillsborough, Millbury, or San Bruno, that's district one. You're going to vote for that person. So they're trying to do some um, balancing act because otherwise we're not going to be able to have the diversity represented in a, in, a, in a more equitable way for voting. All right. Well, that sounds very interesting, actually. That actually makes sense. And I do appreciate you kind of explaining that for myself and probably some of the listeners out there, how they all really fit into each other. So with that, um, if you, let, let me tell you, let me, let me let me kind of give you one more and I'm going to give you the roadmap because it helps. OK, uh, the Daly City area, the South San Francisco and the San Bruno's District 5. That's David Canapa. OK, that's David Canapa. And then you've got Warren Slocum that represents District 4. Carol Groom represents District 2. And District 3 is represented by Don Horsley. Okay, so they all represent those districts, yet when they ran for office, they ran for the whole county. And like I said, the courts are now leaning towards making everybody conform on their boards and in their districts. So it's going to be interesting to see. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that because if it gives more opportunity for people to, to, to participate in the um, elected office, more power to it. Sounds good, Patrick. And I think the fact that he's talking about clean energy as far as one of his topics, I think that's going to be very interesting for a lot of our listeners out there. And really because you know, uh, green energy is really big right now. So with that, I, I think we should go ahead and get a, uh, get down to our Dave Pine interview. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And, yeah, just uh, check us out. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the Dave Pine episode, and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. So with that, this is Andre. This is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It is Friday the 16th of February. We have the honor of interviewing Dave Pine. Dave Pine is on the Board of Supervisors. Um, Dave, can you give us a little background about yourself? Where, 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 are you, where, where, where did you come from originally, Dave? Sure. Well, thanks for uh, including me on your podcast. Very exciting uh, new initiative on your part. So I uh, grew up in New Hampshire, in Durham, New Hampshire, college town, and went to Dartmouth College as an undergraduate, University of Michigan for law school, and made my way to the Bay Area in 1985. Uh, started out working as an attorney and uh, as an in-house lawyer for a series of tech companies, but wanted to get into policy and politics and was fortunate to serve on 
the Burlingame School Board and the San Mateo Union High School District School Board. And then when the District 1 supervisor seat opened up, I uh, uh, was elected in a special election in May of 2011. So, Dave, I remember when I think I first met you, I was the chair for the Democratic Party in San Mateo Foster City. And I think I called you up because you were, uh, you were, I thought you worked for Palm. Is that who you worked for before? I worked for Handspring. It was the last company I worked with. Handspring. And that you were uh, interested in getting in politics. And uh, boy, you persevered it and made a decision that you were going to get in it whichever way you could. It's my second career. I'm glad I made the switch. Good, good. Well, congratulations on that. It's interesting on some of the mayors that I've interviewed on the peninsula, this obviously is not their first career. It's their second career. Some of them have been on uh, council for 15 years. Some have been a little bit shorter and a little bit longer. Um, Dave, can you tell us what district you represent in the supervisory district? I represent District 1, and that consists of Burlingame, Hillsborough, Millbrae, and most of South San Francisco and San Bruno, and up some unincorporated areas, including the Highlands and Burlingame Hills, and the airport. Excellent. This is your second term. It is my second full term. Okay, and and, and you are you uh, so you're going to be retiring from the board of supervisors. My uh, under the term limits, I can serve through 2024. So I have a uh, number of years ahead if. That's the, the path I stay on. Okay. Just for, uh, for the uh, podcast uh, people out there, as you know, the, uh, the county and the state have put, pushed elections up to the uh, even year, not the odd year. And that's helped out a lot of candidates get an extra year or so on their councils and their board of supervisors or their assembly district, too. So um, hopefully, uh, so you podcasters know out there, actually more people vote in your general election than they vote on the odd year. So... Hopefully this is going to stir up. Um, just while we're talking about a little voting, I want to just ask your opinion. Are you, are you happy with the absentee ballots and the way that we're doing the voting process now in San Mateo County? Well, San Mateo County is one of five counties that will pioneer the new, all, essentially all-mail ballot system starting with this June election. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a good way to go. It takes, it takes some getting used to for those of us who like going to the precinct polling place, but it makes it uh, easier and less expensive to conduct the election, um, and I think it's a good direction. Well, I was honored to serve um, in, as a precinct chair in Burlingame, actually, for the presidential election, and it was quite fascinating, Dave, and I want to just kind of share it with you. There was more people that wanted to actually make sure their voted count, and they actually were absentee ballots. We saw it. They had to surrender their ballot. Otherwise, they couldn't get a new ballot. And those people drove home. They actually drove home to bring their absentee ballot to surrender it so they could physically vote at the poll. So I thought that was exciting just to see that participation in that election, even though maybe the results didn't end up the way that everybody wanted. Dave, you've got some passion here in the community. um, And uh, you were going to speak about the clean energy. Is that right? Right. Well, one of the major initiatives I've taken on as a member of the Board of Supervisors is to help organize and launch Peninsula Clean Energy. So Peninsula Clean Energy now is the electric power provider for all of San Mateo County. And uh, the way it works is the 20 cities and the county uh, 
have formed a, uh, a joint powers authority, and we procure cleaner energy uh, for the residents and businesses of San Mateo County. But PG&E continues to maintain all the infrastructure and the billing and, and the customer service. So it's a, really a partnership between PG&E and Peninsula Clean Energy. We procure the energy. and Can you tell the audience, I understand the word procure. What do you mean by procure? Are you going to buy that from another source, the, uh, the energy? You know, before getting involved in this uh, initiative, I didn't realize what a big and vibrant market it is out there. Uh, and the number of, of, of entities producing energy. There's something, the California grid uh, is a complex uh, thing that just a broad array of suppliers uh, add energy to the grid. And we are able to enter into contracts with solar solar generators or, or wind farms to put the, the energy that San Mateo County needs on the grid. Are we buying that energy in state or out? Uh, it's a combination of the two. Um, we buy energy really in two ways. Uh, you know, some of the energy we buy essentially through a, like a reseller that, you know, they procure the energy on our behalf and they may obtain some from hydropower in, in Washington state uh, or, or wind in New Mexico. Then we also enter into direct contracts with energy providers. So the one that's particularly exciting is that Peninsula Clean Energy signed a contract to have a 200 megawatt solar farm built just for Peninsula Clean Energy in Merced County. Wow, that's great. So that's exciting. Very exciting. It's uh, the biggest uh, contract of its kind between, um, we're often referred to as a community choice energy enterprise. Can I go back to that one question I was kind of asking? Do we have a, a how much of this energy are we buying out of state? And, and the reason why I bring this, I know we had that one debacle a while oh, back yeah. with the deregulation and uh, California got stuck with having to buy high energy costs in Texas. And matter of fact, I think a governor lost his job over that whole right. thing. So can you kind of explain to the audience? Because, you know, I don't know how much they really know out there. Well, really, the, that debacle um, some time ago resulted in a new regulatory framework that allowed what we call the community choice energy, energy um, entities to emerge. So the first uh, county to attempt this was Marin. And in about 2010, if I recall, they launched the first community choice energy uh, enterprise. Uh, and now it's taking off like a wildfire. Um, all around the Bay, the community choice energy enterprises have emerged. Uh, it's picking up steam in Southern California, uh, the Monterey Bay area. So it's, it's really just a, a fundamentally new way of sourcing energy for residents and businesses. And it, it, it gives people choice in how they... If I go back to the, the word clean energy, and I think that's kind of important for the people out there to kind of get a grasp of it. And I think you touched on it a little sure. bit. So why don't you give them a little bit more idea of what clean energy is? Right. Well, the number one challenge facing all of us in 
elected office and or all of us as citizens, I believe, is combating global warming. We've emitted an incredible amount of carbon into the atmosphere. We're seeing the effects of that with the changing weather patterns and the melting uh, ice fields and the increasing temperatures. And we have to we have to have an economy that's that's not run on fossil fuel. So that was really my motivation to get involved in, in this effort. So today, um, if you obtain your energy through uh, Peninsula Gas and Electric Company, um, there's kind of three categories of this of the energy. There's something where there's a renewable energy, there's greenhouse gas free, and then there's kind of the traditional brown energy. So PG&E, as utilities go, is fairly green. Um, they're about 30% um, renewable. And then because they have a nuclear power, they have another 19% that's carbon-free. Um, PG&E, we are 50% renewable and another 35% carbon-free. So we're 85% greenhouse gas-free. Uh, and that's again because we can go out and buy energy from these clean sources. Okay, just from a mechanical idea, I know this clean energy thing all of a sudden is on our PG&E bill. Um, just for the audience out there, and my better understanding, um, the uh, PG&E picks up the money. Does that money go to a separate fund for clean energy? And who controls that? Right. Probably most people listening to this podcast may not know that they are customers of Peninsula Clean Energy because you continue to receive a bill from PG&E. But if you look closely, you'll see that there's a distribution fee. So PG&E is paid, you pay PG&E for maintaining the transmission lines and the customer service and all the administration. But then there's another line that will say Peninsula Clean Energy, and that's that's just for the energy cost itself. So, um, the power of the of the system is that you, you, as a customer, need to make a choice. But you're automatically enrolled in Peninsula Clean Energy unless you decide for some reason you would rather stay with PG&E. Was it, if I can grab a hold of that, because I've had some discussions with different people on this, uh, wasn't legislation passed or was it a, a passed by the Board of Supervisors or how, how did that, how did that relationship get yeah. sealed? Well, first off, as I mentioned earlier, you know, first there was state legislation put in place that put, put in place the basic framework for how this would work. And again, in most importantly, created a so-called opt-out system where you, if a group of cities form such an entity, you as a customer would be enrolled unless you decide to opt out. So that's very different than having to decide to join. So the state law uh, was is the foundation. And then the next step is each of the cities in the county had to, their city councils had to decide whether they wanted to participate in this program. And I'm really proud of San Mateo County because we were able to secure the support of all 20 cities plus the county. So we spent lots of time at every city hall. And after a year and a half of work, 
All the councils joined. And in fact, there wasn't a single dissenting vote cast by any city council member uh, in the Well, county. I think I remember you coming to Foster City to speak in, in front of the city council on that clean energy. We were at Foster City. Yeah. We, were, yeah. we, we were everywhere. That's great. And so once the city council decided that they thought the program was promising, um, that allowed us to uh, begin to offer the energy to the customers. Now, under the law, we had to and continue to have to give notice to residential and business customers that we are the energy provider and, and to give them the opportunity to, to opt out if they, for some reason, want to stay with Peninsula Gas and Electric. Well, I guess I want to grab a hold of it a little bit because I've, I've noticed on the bill and it's in the last few months that they're separate. Um, and I'm going to kind of go back to that same question. Is PG&E holding on to that funds, or is this going into a separate entity? Well, the the funds uh, are automatically directed to um, Peninsula Clean Energy's account. So when the when the ratepayer pays, you pay with one check. Right. PG&E collects those funds, but they automatically remit to Peninsula Clean Energy the cost of the of the energy that you purchased. So PG&E and, and your agreement with the clean energy is is that whatever amount of money is brought in is spent in the area of clean energy. Is that how it works? Well, as a customer, if you're paying $40 a month for your electricity, that $40 is remitted to Peninsula Clean Energy. And... That's what funds our ability to buy the energy on your behalf. Right. Well, you know, I had some concern about that. And, and I tell you what my concern was, and I'm not sure that the other consumers looked at it. Uh, recently, obviously, we had that uh, uh, terrible, terrible, terrible fire uh, in Sonoma, Napa. Uh, and it appears that they're, uh, they're trying to put some blame on PG&E. Mm -hmm. Um, we had our catastrophe here in San Bruno with a fire too. If PG&E um, is involved in a lawsuit or a catastrophe that they're blamed, is our money not protected? That, again, that's really a, a concern of PG&E's. They are responsible for the maintenance of the transmission lines. Um, and the funds that you pay for your electric power are always going to flow to Peninsula Clean Energy. Well, I guess going back to that same question without hammering on a little bit too much, um, I would like to think that we would have separate funds that wouldn't be at risk with that, but it's my understanding, looking at the legal profession and the way that they act, they're going to go after anything they can. So what's, what's there to protect the consumer um, and I agree with you about the transmission stations, and obviously PG&E is diligently trying to work to change that because we've had a lot of fires because of those transformers and being outdated. As a contractual matter, you know we we are confident that the monies paid by our customers will be remitted to us, and that if when you say when you say remitted to yourself. Or is it more which what you're saying is going to be spent on the clean energy because PG&E has the money we don't. In other words, when you put when I pay my PG&E bill, I'm paying PG&E. 
Uh, does PG&E put this money over for the clean energy? No, they that, that they remit the money to directly to Peninsula Clean Energy. Peninsula Clean Energy, okay. uh, you know, buys the power, and we buy it with the ratepayers' money. Is it a separate corporation? Totally separate. Separate corporation. Okay, see so now, um, and it was interesting because I, I tried to approach this with finding out from somebody like in the PG&E, and they, they, they didn't really have a great explanation. I know it's new. Yes. Um, and it's so new that I'm interested in it, and I'm interested to talk with you on it, and I'm interested that the consumer out there has a better handle on it, then everybody just thinks it's another charge on PG&E. Right. Right. Well, sometimes the, the bill, the way the bill is presented to ratepayers. I, I will say is confusing, um, but when you work through it, uh, you know ultimately uh, you're buying uh, cleaner energy uh, through Peninsula uh, Clean Energy, and in fact, our rates for our we offer two products, and the rates for our standard product, which is the choice of most of our customers, also referred to as our default choice. It's 5% less than PG&E. So we're, right now we have this great situation where uh, you know, our customers are receiving cleaner energy at less cost than they did with PG&E. Uh, now, is this a permanent program or is this something like that's going to go, it's got a contract for two or three years? How, how, how is it going to work? It's, it's permanent. If... Um, you know, again, it's an emerging industry, and I'm sure the, there'll, there'll be lots of regulatory changes, and uh, it's a very dynamic marketplace, but uh, it, it uh, uh, you know, it's a legal matter. Peninsula Clean Energy is now your energy supplier, unless you decide you would rather have PG&E. Okay. Um, talking about clean energy and clean air, what is still the biggest polluter out there right now? And, and I know you, you've got a lot of knowledge on that. What's the, still the number one polluter? Well, one giant area that we need to attack is the transportation sector and you know, cars and trucks. And people are optimistic that we'll have electrified fleets that will be powered by clean energy from companies such as Peninsula Clean Energy. So by way of example, our current Caltrain locomotives, those are diesel engines, and they emit a lot of carbon. And I also serve on the Caltrain board, and the plan is by 2022 to have that, well, actually 75% of the fleet run uh, by uh, electric uh, locomotives. And, and Caltrain has signed a contract with Peninsula Clean Energy to have to procure the energy that they need uh, from our clean sources. So that's what we need to do: is we need we need electri- we need to electrify everything, and then um, generate the energy through through clean power sources. What What is your um, uh, knowledge, or how much uh, percentage of electric cars or hybrid cars are in San Mateo County use uh, in comparison to the the bulk of it. Yeah, I don't have the exact numbers. I mean, generally speaking, you know, San Mateo is is one of the leading counties in in the country in terms of uh, electric vehicle adoption, but it's still a relatively modest sliver, a couple of percentage points. 
Okay. Well, you know, you kind of led into another another question here that I'm really involved in and passionate about, and that's transportation. Um, obviously, you brought up uh, we, we we have uh, Sam Trans, we've got Caltrans, and I've, I've attended quite a few of them just to just to get knowledge and, yeah. and, and talk to some of the actors. I actually talked to uh, Seamus Murphy. Um, very well spoken, though. Very well. I mean, I thought he did an extremely good job. And, and, and I approached him on his panel with one question. But I wanted to kind of wrap around the question first and say, you know, we have Caltrans, we have BART, we have a transit system which is all trying to grab a hold of the same federal and state money and sometimes county money to create transportation. One of the only things that we have that, that's relatively new but it's working pretty efficiently is the Clipper card. And I'm excited about that. But one of the other things that we don't have, um, and I've, I've actually posed that to some of the mayors that I'm talking to, and some people f- feel one way and some people feel the other way. We don't have a transit district. We, we may have a bag and we may have a symposium on stuff. And I was approached by a few people that told me recently uh, they heard, and this was from a couple of mayors, I can't authenticate this thing, is, is that they're ridership on Sam Trams is down. It is down. Okay. And um, we kind of wrapped our arms around it. And my opinion, I'm going to want to hear your opinion, was is that we're, we're seeing some leading roles happening with your Facebook, your Google, your Apple, your Gileads. They're all doing the shuttle buses. And I'm assuming the generations that were engaged in this dynamic economy are not going to ride Sam Trams because they're not going to get Wi-Fi and the Sam Tram bus is probably not that most attractive. That's my thinking. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Well, the Sam Trans bus ridership has uh, declined uh, over the last 12 months, you know, in the neighborhood of 6 or 7%. And I think the primary reason for that is that it's become so expensive to live in San Mateo County that a lot of the folks who used to ride the bus, have moved away. The, the bus serves a lot of our lower-income residents. And, and you know, there's many residents that don't have cars, and they are reliant on Sam Trans to get to work. So we've seen in the county, generally, a lot of our caseloads numbers decline, and the number of people in jail decline, and the number of people in our juvenile hall decline. And, I, th- I think it's partially due to the fact that uh, a lot of people are moving out of the county from lower, the lower, lower income uh, bracket. So uh, I would attribute a lot of the, the a lot of the, a lot of it to that. Okay, um, that kind of incorporates a, another challenge that we have on the peninsula. I know. I sat on the grand jury in 2013 and 2014, and I found out uh, that when we were in that recession, uh, the court system basically went back to the state as opposed to the county. So that kind of dovetails into a little bit of regionalization of government. Now, is it still a case in San Mateo County that the state seems to run the court system? Well, that's true statewide. Um, in the past, the, the counties uh, had more oversight and funding responsibilities with the courts, but that is division has uh, you know 
been made and again around the state. Uh, so interestingly enough, for example, uh, you know, I work in Redwood City at County Center in, in a building that also uh, houses a number of the courthouses. So as a legal matter, part of that building is owned by the court and the other part is owned by the county. So. I want to stop before that and just tell me when you're ready. Yeah. Okay, Dave, um, you know, we're, we're kind of getting in the, the, into the meat of the question. What's your feeling on a transit district? Do you think that could create some more efficiency? As I brought up earlier, um, since Caltrans, uh, Sam Trams, and everybody's still fighting, and I'm not going to mention which one, but there was a couple of uh, riders agencies that, that actually kind of fudged a little bit on their ridership so that they could get more money. So what can we do? If we do have uh, a transit district to get these transportation more cooperative to each other, that we're all into this for the same purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a question that's been constantly debated. When you look around the Bay Area as a whole, uh, there's more than 20 different transportation agencies, and they do all uh, need to cooperate to some level. Uh, and you have to ask yourself the question, is this the most efficient way to run transportation in a major metropolitan area? I think the answer is no, but moving from what we have now to something different is where it becomes very difficult as a political matter. Well, if you, you know, I'm going to ask you to kind of step out of your supervisory position for a moment and, and actually be creative. We're... What kind of thought process, if you had a magic wand and we didn't have any issue with money um, and we didn't have any issue with politics, so to speak, what type of transit system do you think, based on San Mateo County, would help facilitate a better transit system? What type of organization, you mean? Yes. Well, you certainly would benefit if we could make uh, regional decisions. Right now, San Mateo County is uh, between San Jose and San Francisco. There's major developments happening on both ends of uh, the peninsula. And our own San Mateo County traditionally was considered just sort of a pass-through area, and that's no longer the case. Um, So... When we think about transportation corridors, uh, the best way to think about them is in a regional perspective. Again, probably the best example is Caltrain. So we have Caltrain, which may be the most important rail corridor in the world, where you have people wanting to go in both directions uh, at all times of day. And we have Google wanting to build a major uh, campus at the Deardon Station, in San Francisco with ambitious plans to uh, develop around a rail and get the rail line into the Trans Bay Terminal. And then in our county, we have Bay Meadows and Redwood City is booming in part because of the proximity to the rail line. So, you know, how do we think about that rail line? Uh, you know, that's, that's where, in, you know, in a perfect world, it'd be 
a more regional approach. Well, you know, I've had a long time to think about that myself. And I, I had a proposal, and I think Walt Disney maybe had it right. I think the monorail was quite a clean, clean machine. Um, now, we, we have a lot of north-south traffic, um, especially like 101. Um, it, it seems that maybe on El Camino, if they did it, they raised it above level, they could create some kind of monorail because it would go off to the train. It would go off to maybe some electric bikes. So I thought that why can't we bring something that is a, a, a form of transportation uh, that can be utilized and that could also drop people off in a bus system or drop them off at a Caltrain's. Um, with that said, do you want to make any comment on the Super Bullet train? Um, you know, obviously uh, it's moving, but it's not moving very fast. And uh, do you think that's really going to benefit us in the long run, at least here in San Mateo County? I don't know if we're going to ever see that high-speed rail uh, come to fruition. It uh, uh, has enormous funding challenges ahead of itself. We are, however, upgrading the Caltrain corridor with the idea that it will arrive here someday. Um, and we are working very hard to electrify Caltrain. As I mentioned, you know, that's scheduled to be completed by 2022. And, you know, getting back to regional questions, you know, Caltrain is a regional entity in that it has board members from San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara counties. Uh, and we need to, you know, work together in the interest of that entire corridor. So the challenge on the peninsula is, on the one hand, we want to put as many people as possible on that rail corridor and hopefully keep them off of 101 and 280. But then when we look at our communities, we have a lot of gray separations, a lot of places where the road crosses the rail track. And uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult to go east-west. Mm -hmm. So I uh, very, very want to bring more focus to that, that challenge. Because if we have more trains, we have more people backed up at the rail crossings. Now, it, you know, I, I've heard certain things thrown out in the newspaper and by some experts that the distance that these people are going on the road is only between 10 and 20 miles. Is that, is, is that 50% of the people? Or do we really have any idea on how many of these commuters are going, you know, 20 miles? Are they going 50 miles? Are they going Well, we know miles? that people travel incredible distances to get to work in the peninsula and, uh, and come from the, uh, you know, far in, far in the East Bay and even out into the Central Valley. Because the cost of housing is so, uh, you know, unattainable for, for almost everyone now that if you want to uh, be able to, uh, you know, pay a reasonable amount for rent or for mortgage, you can't live around here any longer. So the the the, the distance of the commutes, I think, are actually increasing. Okay, I was when I was on the grand jury. I remember talking to the county manager, and and he indicated if I and tell me if I'm incorrect that we have about fifty six percent of the people that work for the county are not living in the county. That's probably sounds about right. Okay, well, you know, I also had an opportunity. I grew up in Daly City, one of the the, the, the largest, or it is the biggest city in the county. And I came across uh, a location, and I, the buzzwords going around is workforce housing, below market rates. And a lot of our cities now, uh, with wisdom, are, are taking their funds and putting it into the 
or being serviced by heart. Um, and heart is basically looking for uh, loaning money to people uh, to get in a first-time buyer home program. So our viewers have some idea out here. When we had the last downturn in the economy, a lot of some of that housing that was built for first-time home buyers ended up being foreclosed on. Uh, and didn't go necessarily back into into the first time home buyer program again uh, because the prices went high, then they went low, and no one was up from down. But I want to go back to Daly City for a minute. Um, there was a property that came up on the market, fifteen hundred Southgate, which was about two hundred, not or about two acres. And I looked at it, and I, I approached some people that I knew in Daly City, and I won't mention their names. And I thought, wow, that would be a great project for workforce housing, close to ceremony. Uh, they could use it for school teachers and they could use it for uh, workers at the bank or whatever. But I got, an, I got a lesson here and, I, and, and I'm trying to grab a hold of that lesson that I learned of, of working through with the county. Uh, we were all told that the county has funding, but the county's money is that you need to find the project, own the project, and then we'll come in and help you fund it. I think at this time we're at a different point. Um, if we do have the money, why can't we think outside of the box a little bit? Um, and, and I'll show you some examples where we did think outside of the box. College of San Mateo, we thought outside of the box in a very successful right, program. that's for sure. Kenyatta College, we thought outside of the box. Um, I attended um, a meeting last night with some school officials, um, some in the elementary school district and some in the high school district. And now they're talking, and even I was talking to uh, a mayor in Pacifica, they're talking that maybe on some of the closures of the schools, they can go ahead and make workforce housing or teacher housing. Mm -hmm. What can we do here, Dave? I mean, uh, what's, how, how can we uh, untangle our arms? We've got an economy that's, that's quite vibrant here. Um, and we got partnerships with uh, private companies now willing to work with us. The housing crisis is, is, is severe, and we're, we're all thinking about it uh, every day. The, the county of San Mateo, I think, is doing more than it, than it ever has. We're the fortunate beneficiaries of the so-called Measure K or Measure A, one-half cent sales tax that the voters uh, approved a few years back. And we're allocating a lot of those funds to housing projects. So in the last two-year budget, we appropriated about $46 million to, to housing. And we're always looking for partners to uh, invest that money. And so uh, we, we have, are in the process of creating a substantial number of, of affordable units. Well, just with that idea that I had, let's just say the example of the 1500 Southgate, and I don't even know if the property is still available. That 1500 uh, Southgate, if you had a biotech company or you had the school district or something, I think we got to start collaborating. Um, some of the buzzwords that I'm hearing from some of the mayors out there is we got to do a shotgun approach. We got to shoot, shoot out there, grab a little bit of housing, bring some more housing in, into the stock, and I think we can do it. All right, we need to build more density. Uh, we have to preserve some of the lower-cost housing that we have. And I, I believe that the real answer in the long run is better transportation. Excellent. I, I think you're right on that, Dave. I think you're absolutely right. We'll never be able to 
urbanize the entire San Francisco Peninsula. We will never be able to urbanize San Mateo County. So we're going to have to get people to the jobs here. And right now the transportation is is not uh, not adequate. Well, this this situation, obviously, the state of California has indicated that we need to build some 180,000 units in the, in the next 10 years or something to the effect based on the workforce and the dynamics of what is happening. Um, I, and, and I don't know how accurate it is that they said we're only building some 30,000 a year. Does that make sense? Well, those numbers, uh, that the, in San Mateo County, you know, roughly speaking, in the last six or eight years, like, we've created somewhere in the magnitude of like 70,000 jobs and you know, maybe 7,000 housing units. Uh, so the job housing imbalance is enormous. Um, but how much housing can you build in San Mateo County? I mean, 75% of the county is open space, protected open space. And how much density will our residents allow? Um, every project that is proposed is typically opposed. Um, you know, everyone wants housing except when it's going to go up in their neighborhood. So there's a real there's a real tension there. I mean, the barriers to creating housing in San Mateo are there's 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 no uh, uh, you know, undeveloped real estate. Uh, there's a, a desire. Uh, there's really mixed feelings about density, and then it's so extraordinarily expensive to procure the the land. So, you know, one thing that the go- government can do is try to find places on its own property to build housing. That's exactly what the community college did. That's what the school districts are thinking of, of doing. So if, you, if you're able to, if you have the land available, then it's much more uh, financially viable to figure out a way to build the housing. That dovetails into one kind of, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, a few years back when the economy was uh, hassling and, and the county was even thinking of selling some of their property, and they, they didn't do it, um, I brought a question up, and I never really got an answer to that question. Um, how much property does the state and county own that might not be used? Yeah. Uh, and I know that that question has come up with discussions with supervisors before. Well, we've, we've inventoried our property because we want to find places where we could squeeze some housing in. So one place that I'm very familiar with is where the, the South San Francisco Courthouse location, which is partially owned by the courts and partially owned by the county of San Mateo. And uh, Is that where the law library is? No, you're thinking of downtown Redwood City. Okay, yeah. This is in South San Francisco. Oh, South City, okay. Mission and Grand. So it's a, a parcel today that has a large, underutilized courthouse. It has a, a small jail facility that's been mothballed. It has a small office building with... Uh, probation officers and some uh, revenue service employees. So it's very much underutilized. And uh, we've been looking at that site um, because we need to uh, build a new health clinic in South San Francisco. So certainly we'll locate a health clinic there. But then the question is, well, can we put some housing on that site? And we think we can. So those are the kind of opportunities that every every jurisdiction needs to look for. Okay, got one key question. Um, we're all aware of the money that was uh, 
raised and given to Seton Hospital. And Seton Hospital, we were talking about that earlier and how the doctors have all exited it out. There are a lot of them, not all of them. Um, and the Seton Hospital situation, as we know, uh, provides a lot of services in the community. Um, are those services going to still be here uh, when they finished up with what they're doing? Um, and how far along are we with them making it earthquake-proof, or is it going to be torn down? You know, it's, it's hard. And it, the situation in Seton is always, is always changing. Now, they had a change in ownership a couple of years ago, so it's no longer you know, run by the right. a charity, and it's run by a, a private enterprise. And they, they do have uh, plans that they're working through with the state to uh, seismically retrofit um, the, the parts of their building. Um, I think they recently brought in a new CEO. They have frequent leadership changes there. So it's, you know, it's hard to judge just uh, where it is and where it's going to end up to be. Okay. Dave, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, we want to thank you. And before we close, I want to hear something that you feel very proud about that you were able to accomplish in the years that you've been on the Board of Supervisors. If you've got a couple of them, let, it, let the audience know what, how hard you've worked to get some things passed. Well, I've worked hard in the uh, area of uh, sustainability and environmental issues, so I am uh, proud of the creation of Peninsula Clean Energy and our ability now to have much cleaner electricity provided throughout San Mateo County. Uh, I've also been very active in issues surrounding the San Francisco Bay and have the opportunity to chair the San Francisco Bay Restoration Authority, which uh, in time will lead to uh, substantial uh, uh, creation of uh, and restoration of tidal wetlands. Those are two things I'm particularly proud of. What do you see for the future in the next five years in, 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 in your dream? What do you think is going to happen with, let's assume the economy continues to hum along and whatever way it does, where do you see the, uh, the, uh, the county where, uh, in your ideas? What, what do you see is going to be more positive? Is it going to more be more clean energy cars? Well, I mean, the, the county of San Mateo is a, is a great beneficiary of the booming economy. And uh, with property taxes climbing uh, and the state in, in the solid position, you know, our financial picture has never been stronger. So uh, it allows us to do a lot of innovative things and, and try to tackle some issues that most county governments can't do. So, you know, for example, our big lift, big lift initiative to help uh, improve third grade reading literacy or our willingness in the case of Peninsula Clean Energy, we actually, you know, made the initial investment to get this enterprise off the ground. So I think uh, if things continue as they are, you'll continue to see San Mateo County show real leadership on a number of issues because we have a very, very strong financial foundation to work from. Again, we want to thank Dave uh, for serving on the Board of Supervisors, and we wish you a lot of luck in the future. Thanks again. Thanks, Patrick.
All right. Well, we're going to get down to the thought of the episode. And so I want to talk about some of the realities that happen when we're going to the restaurants or we're going to the zoo or we're going to wherever. And you see children glued to the phones, to the iPads. I think adults do it too, right? I mean, we're we're constantly glued for various reasons. But I think it's something about seeing the children at a restaurant, not engaged, I mean, really disconnected, and really losing the ability to actually communicate um, because they're just so consumed with this entertainment piece. Um, uh, you know, you, you go to the zoo and there's like there's kids in strollers and, and they have iPads right there, you know. And so, anyways, um, I think we have to really start considering the, you know, the overuse of some of these, these tools. I mean, there are benefits, but I think that when there's no monitoring and there's just complete... Uh, the the kids are really taking over with their demand for these for these objects, right? And I'll give an example. I know somebody that told me a direct a personal story that uh, there's these these kids that basically when they go to sleep at night they sleep with the iPads and they basically um, watch watch instead of reading a book to them they actually I think they watch shows before they go to bed and you know, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm 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 more of a book reader, right? I mean, I think that's what most people do with their kids, but I guess some people don't. The issue is, is that these people, you know, they they sleep right next to these iPads, and then they wake up in the middle of the night and they're like in convulsions if they, you know, the the iPad's not there and they can't find their iPad. It, it was my iPad, you know, and so that's that's a that's an issue. I'm sorry. I mean, we, we've we've really lost the, the, you know, what the purpose of these objects are when it gets to that point. And I think we really have to start looking at our reality and how we're using these tools. I mean, it is a fact that Steve Jobs, the head of Apple, the head marketer of all these products... Of all these i i iPads, iPhones, you know, um, you know, iPods, he did not allow his kids, you know, completely be overwhelmed with these products, and he knew why. He recognized it. He recognized there's more to life than these products. There's more to life than staring into the phone than to staring into the iPad 24 hours a day. There's more to life than that. And I think some of us that are older who have grew up in a time when you would go outside and play, we want to see that for the kids. We want to see your kids out there having a good time. And there is something happening in our society now. And this could be for various reasons. But you don't see kids outside playing anymore. Very few. And that could be for a lot of reasons, right? I mean, parents are very overprotective these days. But I think the parents have to be there and to, to get out there with their kids instead of just, just giving them the iPad, 
and say, here you go. No, go spend time with your kids. Go play baseball. Go play basketball. Go uh, ride a bike. Go, go do whatever. You know, engage. Communicate. Be there. Be present. And I think that's really the key in our society is we're lacking the, the, the being of present because we're all so engaged with these electronic devices that we've really lost our ability to actually be present. So with that, that's the thought of the day. And um hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed the, the show. And we'll catch you on the next time, a podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast, You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.